Chapter Three of Lord Tony's Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Lord Tony's Wife by Amuska Orksi. Chapter Three: The Assembly Rooms, Part One. The sigh of satisfaction was quite unmistakable. It could be heard from end to end from corner to corner of the building. It sounded above the din of the orchestra who had just attacked with vigor the opening bars of a Schotsky, above the brouhaha of moving dancers and the frau-frau of skirts. It traveled from the small octagon hall through the central salon to the tea-room, the ballroom, and the card-room. It reverberated from the gallery in the ballroom to the maids' gallery, it distracted the ladies from their gossip and the gentlemen from their cards it was a universal heartfelt ah of intense and pleasurable satisfaction sir percy blakeney and his lady had just arrived it was close on midnight and the ball had positively languished what was a ball without the presence of sir percy his royal highness too had been expected earlier than this but it was not thought that he would come at all despite his promise if the spoilt pet of bath society remained unaccountably absent and the assembly rooms had worn an air of woe even in the face of the gaily dressed throng which filled every vast room in its remotest angle but now sir percy blakeney had arrived just before the clocks had struck midnight and exactly one minute before his royal highness drove up himself from the royal apartments lady blakeney was looking more radiant and beautiful than ever before so everyone remarked when a few moments later she appeared in the crowded ballroom on the arm of his royal highness and closely followed by my lord anthony drewhurst and by sir percy himself who had the young duchess of flintshire on his arm what do you mean you incorrigible rogue her grace was saying with playful severity to her cavalier by coming so late to the ball another two minutes and you would have arrived after his royal highness himself and how would you have justified such solecism i would like to know by swearing that thoughts of your grace had completely addled my poor brain he retorted gaily and that in the mental contemplation of such charms i forgot time place social duties everything even the homage to truth she laughed cannot you for once in your life be serious sir percy impossible dear lady whilst your dainty hand rests upon mine arm part two it was not often that his royal highness graced bath with his presence and the occasion was made the excuse for quite exceptional gaiety and brilliancy the new fashions of this memorable year of seventeen ninety three had defied the declaration of war and filtered through from paris london milliners had not been backward in taking the hint and though most of the more starchy dowagers obstinately adhered to the pre-war fashions the huge hooped skirts stiff stomachers pointed waists voluminous panniers and monumental head erections the young and smart matrons were everywhere to be seen in the new gracefully flowing skirts innocent of steel constructions the high waistline the powder pigeon-like draperies over their pretty bosoms her lady of flintshire looked ravishing with her curly fair hair entirely free from powder and lady betty draytonoon's waist seemed to be nestling under her armpits 
of course lady blakeney wore the very latest thing in striped silks and gossamer like muslin and lace and it was hard to enumerate all the pretty debutantes and young brides who fluttered about the assembly rooms this night and gliding through that motley throng bright plumaged like a swarm of butterflies there were a few figures dressed in sober blacks and greys the emigres over from france men women young girls and gilded youth from out that seething cauldron of revolutionary france who had shaken the dust of the rampant demagogism from off their buckled shoes taking away with them little else but their lives mostly cherry of speech grave in their demeanour bearing upon their wan faces traces of that horror which had seized them when they saw all the traditions of their past tottering around them the proletariat whom they had despised turning against them with all the fury of caged beasts let loose their kindred and friends massacred their king and queen murdered the shelter and security which hospitable england had extended to them had not altogether removed from their hearts the awful sense of terror and of gloom many of them had come to bath because the more genial climate of the west of england consoled them for the inclemencies of london's fog received with open arms and with that lavish hospitality which the refugees and the oppressed had already learned to look for in england they had gradually allowed themselves to be drawn into the fashionable life of the gay little city the comtesse de tournay was here and her daughter lady folks sir andrew's charming and happy bride and monsieur paul de Rolade and his wife beautiful juliette de Rolade, with the strange haunted look in her large eyes as of one who has looked closely on death and monsieur le duc de kernogan with his exquisite daughter whose pretty air of seriousness and of repose sat so quaintly upon her young face but every one remarked as soon as monsieur le duc entered the room that monsieur martin roger was not in attendance upon mademoiselle which was quite against the order of things also that monsieur le duc appeared to keep a more sharp eye than usual upon his daughter in consequence and that he asked somewhat anxiously if milor anthony drewhurst was in the room and looked obviously relieved when the reply was in the negative at which trifling incident every one who was in the know smiled and whispered for monsieur le duc made it no secret that he favoured his own compatriot's suit for mademoiselle yvonne's hand rather than that of my lord tony which as old euclid has it is absurd part three but with the arrival of the royal party monsieur de kernogan's troubles began to begin with though monsieur martin roger had not arrived my lord tony undoubtedly had he had come in in the wake of lady blakeney but very soon he began wandering round the room obviously in search of someone immediately there appeared to be quite a conspiracy among the young folk in the ballroom to keep both lord tony and mademoiselle avon's movements hidden from the prying eyes of monsieur le duc and anon his royal highness after a comprehensive survey of the ballroom and a few gracious words to his more intimate circle wandered away to the card-room and as luck would have it he claimed monsieur le duc de carnagan for a partner at faro now monsieur le duc was a courtier of the old regime to have disobeyed the royal summons would in his eyes have been nothing short of a crime he followed the royal party to the card-room and on his way thither had one gleam of comfort in that he saw lady blakeney sitting on a sofa in the octagon hall engaged in conversation with his daughter 
whilst Lord Anthony Dewhurst was nowhere in sight. However, the gleam of comfort was very brief, for less than a quarter of an hour after he had sat down at His Highness's table, Lady Blakeney came into the card-room and stood thereafter for some little while close beside the prince's chair. The next hour after that was one of special martyrdom for the anxious father, for he knew that his daughter was in all probability sitting out in a specially secluded corner in the company of my lord tony if only martin roget were here part four martin roget with the eagle eyes and the airs of an accredited suitor would surely have intervened when my lord tony in the face of the whole brilliant assembly in the ballroom drew mademoiselle de kernogan into the seclusion of the recess underneath the gallery my lord tony was never very glib of tongue that peculiar dignified shyness which is one of the chief characteristics of well-bred englishmen caused him to be tongue-tied when he had most to say it was just with gesture and an appealing pressure of his hand upon her arm that he persuaded yvonne de kernogan to sit down beside him on the sofa in the remotest and darkest corner of the recess and there she remained beside him silent and grave for a moment or two and stole timid glances from time to time through the veil of her lashes at the finely chiselled expressive face of her young english lover he was pining to put a question to her and so great was his excitement that his tongue refused him service and she knowing what was hovering on his lips would not help him out but a humorous twinkle in her dark eyes and a faint smile round her lips lit up the habitual seriousness of her young face mademoiselle he managed to stammer at last mademoiselle yvonne you have seen lady blakeney yes she replied demurely i have seen lady blakeney and-and she told you yes lady blakeney told me many things she told you that-that in god's name mademoiselle yvonne he added desperately do help me out it is cruel to tease me can't you see that i'm nearly crazy with anxiety then she looked up at him her dark eyes glowing and brilliant her face shining with the light of a great tenderness nay millar she said earnestly i had no wish to tease you but you will own tis a grave and serious step which lady blakeney suggested that i should take i have had no time to think as yet but there is no time for thinking mademoiselle yvonne he said naively if you will consent oh you will consent will you not he pleaded she made no immediate reply but gradually her hand which rested upon the sofa stole nearer and then nearer to his and with a quiver of exquisite happiness his hand closed upon hers the tips of his fingers touched the smooth warm palm and poor lord tony had to close his eyes for a moment as his sense of superlative ecstasy threatened to make him faint slowly he lifted that soft white hand to his lips upon my word yvonne he said with quiet fervour you will never have cause to regret that you have trusted me i know that well milor she replied demurely she settled down a shade or two closer to him still they were now like two birds in a cosy nest secluded from the rest of the assembly who appeared to them like dream figures flitting in from some other world that had nothing to do with their happiness the strains of the orchestra who had struck the measure of the first figure of a contradance sounded like fairy music distant unreal in their ears only their love was real their joy in one another's company their hands clasped closely together tell me she said after a while how it all came about it is all so terribly sudden 
so exquisitely sudden. I was prepared, of course, but not so soon, and certainly not to-night. Tell me just how it happened. She spoke English quite fluently, with just a charming slight accent, which he thought the most adorable thing he had ever heard. You see, dear heart, he replied, and there was a quiver of intense feeling in his voice as he spoke. There is a man who not only is the friend whom I love best in all the world, but is also the one whom I trust absolutely, more than myself. Two hours ago he sent for me and told me that grave danger threatened you, threatened our love and our happiness, and he begged me to urge you to consent to a secret marriage at once, tonight. And you think this, this friend knew? I know, he replied earnestly, that he knew, or he would not have spoken to me as he did. He knows that my whole life is in your exquisite hands. He knows that our happiness is somehow threatened by that man, Martin Roger. How he obtained that information I could not guess. He had not the time or the inclination to tell me. I flew to make all arrangements for our marriage tonight, and prayed to God, as I have never prayed in my life before, that you, dear heart, would deign to consent. How could I refuse when Lady Blakeney advised? She is the kindest and dearest friend I possess. She and your friend ought to know one another. Will you not tell me who he is? I will present him to you, dear heart, as soon as we are married, he replied with awkward evasiveness. Then suddenly he exclaimed with boyish enthusiasm, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It is the most extraordinary thing in the world. What is that, milor? she asked, that you should have cared for me at all. For, of course, you must care, or you wouldn't be sitting here with me now. You would not have consented, would you? You know that I do care, milor, she said in her grave, quiet way. How could it be otherwise? But I am so stupid and so slow, he said naively. Why, look at me now. My heart is simply bursting with all that I want to say to you. But I just can't find the words, and I do nothing but talk rubbish and feel how you must despise me. Once more that humorous little smile played for a moment round Yvonne de Kernigan's serious mouth. She didn't say anything just then, but her delicate fingers gave his hand an expressive squeeze. "'You are not frightened?' he asked abruptly. "'Frightened? Of what?' she rejoined. "'At the step you are going to take. Would I take it?' she retorted gently. "'If I had any misgivings?' "'Oh, if you had. Do you know that even now?' he continued clumsily and haltingly, now that I have realized just what it will mean to have you, and just what it would mean to me, God help me, if I were to lose you, well, that even now I would rather go through that hell than that you should feel the least bit doubtful or unhappy about it all. Again she smiled, gently, tenderly up into his eager boyish face. The only unhappiness, she said gravely, that could ever overtake me in the future would be parting from you, milor. Oh, God bless you for that, my dear. God bless you for that. But, for pity's sake, turn your dear eyes away from me, or I vow I shall go crazy with joy. Men do go crazy with joy sometimes, you know, and I feel that in another moment I shall stand up and shout at the top of my voice to all the people in the room that within the next few hours the loveliest girl in all the world is going to be my wife. She certainly won't be that, if you do shout at the top of your voice, milor, for my father would hear you, and there would be an end to our beautiful adventure. It will be a beautiful adventure, won't it? He sighed with unconcealed ecstasy. 
"'So beautiful, my dear lord,' she replied with gentle earnestness. "'So perfect, in fact, that I am almost afraid something must happen presently to upset it all.' "'Nothing can happen,' he assured her. "'Monsieur Martin Roger is not here, and his royal highness is even now monopolizing Monsieur le duc de Kernogan so that he cannot get away.' your friend must be very clever to manipulate so many strings on our behalf it is long past midnight now sweetheart he said with sudden irrelevance yes i know i have been watching the time and i have already thought everything out for the best i very often go home from balls and routs in the company of lady folks and sleep in her house those nights father is always quite satisfied when i do that and to-night he will be doubly satisfied feeling that i shall be taken away from your society lady folks is in the secret of course so lady blakeney told me and she will be ready for me in a few minutes now she'll take me home with her and there i will change my dress and rest for a while waiting for the happy hour she will come to the church with me and then oh then oh my dear milor she added suddenly with a deep sigh whilst her whole face became irradiated with a light of intense happiness as you say it is the most wonderful thing in all the world this our beautiful adventure together the parson will be ready at half-past six dear heart it was the earliest hour that i could secure after that we go at once to your church and the priest will tie up any loose threads which our english parson failed to make right after those two ceremonies we will be very much married shan't we and nothing can come between us dear heart can it he queried with a look of intense anxiety on his young face nothing she replied then she added with a short sigh poor father dear heart he will only fret for a little while i don't believe he can really want you to marry that man martin roger it is just obstinacy on his part he can't have anything against me really save of course that i am not clever and that i shall never do anything very big in the world except to love you yvonne with my whole heart and soul and with every fibre and muscle in me oh i'll do that he added with boyish enthusiasm better than any one else in all the world could do and your father will i'll be bound forgive me for stealing you when he sees that you are happy and contented and have everything you want and and as usual lord tony's eloquence was not equal to all that it should have expressed he blushed furiously and with a quaint shy gesture passed his large well-shaped hand over his smooth brown hair i am not much i know he continued with a winning air of self-deprecation and you are far above me as the stars you are so wonderful so clever so accomplished and i am nothing at all but but i have plenty of high-born connections and i have plenty of money and influential friends and and sir percy blakeney who is the most accomplished and finest gentleman in england calls me his friend she smiled at his eagerness she loved him for his clumsy little ways his halting speech that big loving heart of his which was too full of fine and noble feelings to find vent in mere words have you ever met a finer man in all the world he added enthusiastically yvonne de kernogan smiled once more her recollections of sir percy blakeney showed her an elegant man of the world whose mind seemed chiefly occupied on the devising and the wearing of exquisite clothes in the uttering of lively witticism for the entertainment of his royal friends and the ladies of his entourage 
it showed her a man of great wealth and vast possessions who seemed willing to spend both in the mere pursuit of pleasures. She liked Sir Percy Blakeney well enough, but she could not understand clever and charming Marguerite Blakeney's adoration for her inane and foppish husband, nor the whole-hearted admiration openly lavished upon him by men like Sir Andrew Foulkes, my Lord Hastings, and others. She would gladly have seen her own dear milor choose a more sober and intellectual friend, but then she loved him for his marvellous power of whole-hearted friendship, for his loyalty to those he cared for, for everything, in fact, that made up the sum total of his winning personality, and she pinned her faith on that other mysterious friend whose individuality vastly intrigued her. "'I am more interested in your anonymous friend,' she said quaintly, "'than in Sir Percy Blakeney.' but he too is kindness itself and lady blakeney is an angel i like to think that the happiest days of my life our honeymoon my dear lord will be spent in their house blakeney has sent me combwich hall for as long as we like to stay there we'll drive thither directly after the service dear heart and then we'll send a courier to your father and ask for his blessing and his forgiveness poor father sighed yvonne again but evidently compassion for the father whom she had elected to deceive did not weigh over heavily in the balance of her happiness her little hand once more stole like a timid and confiding bird into the shelter of his firm grasp part five in the card-room at his highness's table sir percy blakeney was holding the bank and seemingly luck was dead against him around the various tables the ladies stood about chattering and hindering the players Nothing appeared serious to-night, not even the capricious chances of hazard. His Royal Highness was in rare good humour, for he was winning prodigiously. Her Grace of Flintshire placed her perfumed and beringed hand upon Sir Percy Blakeney's shoulder. She stood behind his chair, chattering incessantly in a high, fluty treble, just like a canary. Blakeney vowed that she was so ravishing that she had put Dame Fortune to flight you have not told us sir percy she said roguishly how you came to arrive so late at the ball alas madame he sighed dolefully twas the fault of my cravat your cravat ay indeed you see i spent the whole of to-day in perfecting my new method for tying a butterfly bow so as to give the neck an appearance of utmost elegance with a minimum of discomfort lady blakeney will bear me out when i say that i set my whole mind to my task was i not busy all day my dear he added making a formal appeal to marguerite who stood immediately behind his highness's chair and with her luminous eyes full of merriment and shining with happiness fixed upon her husband you certainly spent a considerable time in front of the looking-glass she said gaily with two valets in attendance and my lord tony an interested spectator in the proceedings there now rejoined sir percy triumphantly her ladyship's testimony thoroughly bears me out and now you shall see what tony says on the matter tony where's tony he added as his lazy grey eyes sought the brilliant crowd in the card-room tony where the devil are you there was no reply and anon sir percy's merry gaze encountered that of monsieur le duc de kernogan who dressed in sober black looked strangely conspicuous in the midst of this throng of bright-coloured butterflies and whose grave eyes as they rested on the gorgeous figure of the english exquisite held a world of contempt in their glance ah monsieur le duc continued blakeney returning that scornful look with his habitual good-humoured one 
I had not noticed that Mademoiselle Yvonne was not with you, else I had not thought of inquiring so loudly for my friend Tony. My lord Antoine is dancing with my daughter, Sir Percy, said the other man gravely, in excellent if somewhat laboured English. He had my permission to ask her. And is a thrice happy man in consequence, retorted Blakeney lightly, though I fear me Monsieur Martin Roget's wrath will descend upon my poor Tony's head with unexampled vigour in consequence. Monsieur Martin Roget is not here this evening, broke in the Duchess, and methought, she added in a discreet whisper, that my lord Tony was all the happier for his absence. The two young people have spent a considerable time together under the shadow of the gallery in the ballroom, and, if I mistake not, Lord Tony is making the most of his time. She talked very volubly, and with a slight north-country brogue, which no doubt made it a little difficult for the stranger to catch her every word, but evidently Monsieur le Duc had understood the drift of what she said, for now he rejoined with some acerbity. Mademoiselle de Kurrigan is too well educated, I hope, to allow the attentions of any gentleman against her father's will. Come, come, Monsieur de Kurnigan, here interposed his royal highness with easy familiarity. Lord Anthony Dewhurst is the son of my old friend the Marquis of Attleton, one of our most distinguished families in this country, who have helped to make English history. He has, moreover, inherited a large fortune from his mother, who was a cruche of Krukern and one of the richest heiresses in the land. He is a splendid fellow, a fine sportsman, a loyal gentleman. His attentions to any young lady, however high-born, can be but flattering, and I should say welcome to those who have her future welfare at heart. But in response to this gracious tirade, Monsieur le Duc de Kernigan bowed gravely, and his stern features did not relax, as he said coldly, your royal highness is pleased to take an interest in the affairs of my daughter i am deeply grateful there was a second's awkward pause for every one felt that despite his obvious respect and deference monsieur le duc de kernigan had endeavoured to inflict a snub upon the royal personage and one or two hot-headed young fops in the immediate entourage even muttered the word impertinence inaudibly through their teeth only his royal highness appeared not to notice anything unusual or disrespectful in monsieur le duc's attitude it seemed as if he was determined to remain good-humoured and pleasant at any rate he chose to ignore the remark which had offended the ears of his entourage only those who stood opposite to his highness on the other side of the card-table declared afterwards that the prince had frowned and that a haughty rejoinder undoubtedly hovered on his lips be that as it may he certainly did not show the slightest sign of ill-humour quite gaily and unconcernedly he scooped up his winnings which sir percy blakeney who held the bank was at this moment pushing towards him don't go yet monsieur de kernigan he said as the frenchman made a movement to work his way out of the crowd feeling no doubt that the atmosphere round him had become somewhat frigid if not exactly inimical don't go yet i beg of you pardi can't you see that you have been bringing me luck? As a rule, Blakeney, who can so well afford to lose, has the devil's own good fortune. But to-night I have succeeded in getting some of my own back from him. Do not, I entreat you, break the run of my luck by going. Oh, Monseigneur, rejoined the old courtier suavely, how can my poor presence influence the gods, who of a surety always preside over your highness's fortunes? 
"Do not attempt to explain it, my dear sir," quoth the prince gaily. "I only know that if you go now, my luck may go with you and I shall blame you for my losses." "Oh! in that case, monseigneur " "And with all that, Blakeney," continued His Highness, once more taking up the cards and turning to his friend, "remember that we still await your explanation as to your coming so late to the ball." "An omission, your Royal Highness," rejoined Blakeney an absence of mind brought about by your severity and that of her grace the trouble was that all my calculations with regard to the exact adjustment of the butterfly bow were upset when i realized that the set of the present-day waistcoat would not harmonize with it less than two hours before i was due to appear at this ball my mind had to make a complete volte face in the matter of cravats i became bewildered lost utterly confused I have only just recovered, and one word of criticism on my final efforts would plunge me now into the depths of despair. Blakeney, you are absolutely incorrigible, retorted His Highness with a laugh. Monsieur le Duc, he added, once more turning to the grave Frenchman with his wonted graciousness, I pray you do not form your judgment on the gilded youth of England by the example of my friend Blakeney. Some of us can be serious when occasion demands, you know your highness is pleased to jest said monsieur de kernogan stiffly what greater occasion for seriousness can there be than the present one true england has never suffered as france is suffering now but she has engaged in a conflict against the most powerful democracy the world has ever known she has thrown down the gauntlet to a set of human beasts of prey who are as determined as they are ferocious england will not emerge victorious from this conflict monseigneur if her sons do not realize that war is not mere sport and that victory can only be attained by the sacrifice of levity and of pleasure he had dropped into french in response to his highness's remark in order to express his thoughts more accurately the prince a little bored no doubt seemed disinclined to pursue the subject nevertheless it seemed as if once again he made a decided effort not to show ill-humour he even gave a knowing wink a wink in the direction of his friend blakeney and of her grace as if to beg them to set the ball of conversation rolling once more along a smoother a less boring path he was obviously quite determined not to release monsieur de kernogan from attendance near his royal person part six as usual sir percy threw himself in the breach filling the sudden pause with his infectious laugh la he said gaily how beautifully monsieur le duc does talk fault he added addressing sir andrew who was standing close by i'll wager you ten pounds to a pinch of snuff that you couldn't deliver yourself of such splendid sentiments even in your own native lingo i won't take you blankney retorted sir andrew with a laugh i'm no good at peroration you should hear our distinguished guests monsieur martin roger on the same subject continued sir percy with mock gravity by gad can't he talk i feel a blanked worm when he talks about our national levity our insane worship of sport our our monsieur le duc he added with becoming seriousness and in atrocious french i appeal to you does not monsieur martin roger talk beautifully monsieur martin roger replied the duke gravely is a man of marvellous eloquence fired by overwhelming patriotism he is a man who must command respect wherever he goes you have known him long monsieur le duc queried his royal highness graciously 
"'Indeed, not very long, Monseigneur. "'He came over as an émigré from Brest some three months ago, "'hidden in a smuggler's ship. "'He had been denounced as an aristocrat "'who was furthering the cause of the royalists in Brittany "'by helping them plentifully with money. "'But he succeeded in escaping, not only with his life, "'but also with the bulk of his fortune. "'Ah, Monsieur Martin Roger is rich? "'He is sole owner of a rich banking business in Brest, Monseigneur.' which has an important branch in America, and correspondence all over Europe. Monseigneur, the Bishop of Brest, recommended him specially to my notice in a very warm letter of introduction, wherein he speaks of Monsieur Martin Roger as a gentleman of the highest patriotism and integrity. Were I not quite satisfied as to Monsieur Martin Roger's antecedents and present connections, I would not have ventured to present him to your highness nor would you have accepted him as a suitor for your daughter monsieur le duc c'est entendu concluded his highness urbanely monsieur martin roger's wealth will no doubt cover his lack of birth there are plenty of high-born gentlemen devoted to the royal's cause monseigneur rejoined the duc in his grave formal manner but the most just and purest of causes must at times be helped with money the Vendines in Brittany, the princes at Coblentz, are all sorely in need of funds, and Monsieur Martin Roger, son-in-law of Monsieur le Duc de Kernogan, is more likely to feed those funds than Monsieur Martin Roger, the plain businessman who has no aristocratic connections, concluded His Royal Highness dryly. But even so, Monsieur le Duc, he added more gravely, surely you cannot be so absolutely certain as you would wish that monsieur martin roger's antecedents are just as he has told you monseigneur the bishop of brest may have acted in perfect good faith monseigneur the bishop of brest your highness is a man who has our cause the cause of our king and of our faith as much as heart as i have myself he would know that on his recommendation i would trust any man absolutely he was not like to make careless use of such knowledge and you are quite satisfied that the worthy bishop did not act under some dire pressure quite satisfied monseigneur replied the duke firmly what pressure could there be that would influence a prelate of such high integrity as monseigneur the bishop of brest part seven there was silence for a moment or two during which the heavy bracket clock over the door struck the first hour after midnight his royal highness looked round at lady blakeney and she gave him a smile and an almost imperceptible nod sir andrew ffoulkes had in the meanwhile quietly slipped away i understand said his royal highness quite gravely turning back to monsieur le duc and i must crave your pardon sir for what must have seemed to you an indiscretion you have given me a very clear expose of the situation i confess that until to-night it had seemed to me and to all your friends monsieur a trifle obscure in fact it had been my intention to intercede with you in favour of my young friend lord anthony dewhurst who of a truth is deeply enamoured of your daughter though your highness's wishes are tantamount to a command yet would i humbly assert that my wishes with regard to my daughter are based upon my loyalty and my duty to my sovereign king louis the seventeenth whom may god guard and protect and that therefore it is beyond my power now to modify them may god trounce you for an obstinate fool murmured his highness in english and turning his head away so that the other should not hear him but aloud and with studied graciousness he said 
Monsieur le duc, will you not take a hand at hazard? My luck is turning, and I have faith in yours. We must fleece Blakeney to night. He has had Satan's own luck for these past few weeks. Such good fortune becomes positively revolting. There was no more talk of Mademoiselle de Kernogan after that. Indeed, her father felt that her future had already been discussed far too freely by all these well-wishers, who of a truth were not a little indiscreet. He thought that the manners and customs of good society were very peculiar here in this fog-ridden England. What business was it of all these high-born ladies and gentlemen, of his royal highness himself for that matter? What plans he had made for Yvonne's future? Martin Roger was bourgeois by birth, but he was vastly rich, and had promised to pour a couple of millions into the coffers of the royalist army, if Mademoiselle de Kernogan became his wife. A couple of millions with more to follow, no doubt, and a loyal adherence to the royalist cause was worth these days all the blue blood that flowed in my lord Anthony Dewhurst's veins. So at any rate thought Monsieur le Duc this night while his royal highness kept him at cards until the late hours of the morning. End of chapter 3 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah